0: have changed and IAQ Radio is now in command. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor quality radio, IAQ Radio, episode number 68 for Friday, February 8th, 2008. My name is Cliff Zlotnick, or the Z-Man, and here with me in Studio B in lovely Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, is the wingman, Chris Boizel. Good afternoon, Cliff. Hey, a little close today. My co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, is in Pensacola, Florida, teaching a mold awareness course. Hey, we want you and all the other teachers to leave those kids alone, Joe. And Joe's with an esteemed group of industry colleagues and students, and Joe and company will be participating from Pensacola, Florida today. Our goals at IQ radio are to be interesting, informative, and entertaining. On IQ radio, you hear the views and opinions of both the hosts and the guests. You can contact me at Cliff Zlotnik at unsmoke.com. You can contact Radio Joe Hughes by emailing to him at jo.us at iqtraining.com. Today's segments include the Microband Trivia Challenge, a panel discussion with a distinguished panel of experts, an IEC Connections What's News segment. Today's panelists include Glenn Fellman from Indoor Environment Connections, IAQ's Technical Director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, Radio Joe Hughes, and with Radio Joe in Pensacola are David Pierce, Environmental Health Supervisor with the Escambia County Health Department, Melissa Helmick of EMSL Analytical Inc., Dr. Melanie Sutton from the School of Allied Health and Life Sciences at the University of West Florida. And joining us from New Jersey this morning is Lee Daniel, Disaster Restoration Contractor and I.Q. Professional.
1: We'd like to thank today's sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at
0: ieconnections.com. DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions, DRI EAZ.com.
1: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop, at J O N D O N.com.
0: And the Restoration Forum, re- at RestorationForum.com.
1: Microband Systems, the microbial management company, at MicrobandSystems.com.
0: In order to contact this show live by phone or text message, simply go to www.talkshoe.com website and follow the directions to obtain a PIN number. Our show ID number is 1547-1547. We appreciate your suggestions. We'll answer questions and take requests. You can email us at info at iqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iqtraining.com. Dot com. Okay, Joe, we can go to you for the introduction of our panelists.
2: Okay. I, I missed, uh, are we going to do the introductions now, huh, Cliff? Yeah, we can. Okay, great. Let's start with uh, our, our technical director. We always like to make sure we uh, thank our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Dr. Wow is a certified industrial hygienist. His doctorate is in industrial hygiene and occupational health. He's got over 30 years conducting indoor air quality investigations and he's got uh, 10 years with the Bayer Corporation, 25 years as a professor at the University of Pittsburgh's Graduate School of Public Health and he's also a part-time professor at the Duquesne University. Dr. Wild still provides expert witness testimony for industrial hygiene and IAQ issues and is our technical director on IAQ radio. We also have Glenn Fellman on the line. Glenn Fellman, as most of our listeners are familiar with, is uh, the editor of Indoor Environment Connections, the leading industry newspaper for IAQ issues. He is also the executive director of the Indoor Air Quality Association and the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization. Glenn has had a long and successful career in association management working with many of the top indoor air quality associations in the United States. Lee Daniel is on the phone. I don't have Lee's intro, but I do know Lee well, and Lee is a very experienced water damage restoration contractor from the New Jersey area who has done numerous large water damage restoration and mold remediation projects. We're looking forward to her input from the construction and contractor
0: side of things. Joe, I've got her intro. She hails from New Jersey. She's been in the IEQ industry for eight years, starting out as a remediator. Strangely, it was her degree in textiles which sparked her IEQ career. She's currently an indoor environmental consultant for Remediation Resources, LLC, in Union County. They're a right. service provider to northern and central regions of the state. She's a member of the IEQA and serves on the certification board of the American Indoor Air Quality Council and recently became a member of the U.S. Green Building Council. Lee's IEQ interests span the globe as she is also a member of the International Society for Indoor Air Quality and Climate and recently authored case studies for indoor environment connections and IEQ publication.
2: Excellent. Glad to see you got that email, Cliff. I've been in class. No All problem. Right. We got David Pierce here at the UWF uh, Graduate School, and he's with the Escambia County Health Department. And he's telling me don't read this whole thing, but uh, what I'd like to say is he is uh, currently working for Escambia County and as a supervisor for their general environmental health programs. He manages a team of environmental health specialists and they deal with all kinds of indoor air quality and environmental health problems. Melissa Helmick is with us from EMSL Analytical. She's an account executive from EMSL Analytical, a seasoned indoor air quality professional with a diverse experience ranging from sales, marketing, product development, and project management. Uh, She's been in the laboratory arena for eight years, so we've got the lab people here. And last but not least, We've got Dr. Melanie Sutton, who's our host here, and she's a great host. She is a doctor and a professor at the Allied Health and Life Sciences at the University of West Florida. Her Ph.D. is in Computer Science and Engineering. Oh, that's why you're so good with that computer stuff, huh? She's been helping me learn some computer stuff here, Cliff. Uh, She serves as the school's community outreach liaison to regional and national professional organizations with interests in health sciences, For occupational safety and health issues, and she teaches online courses in medical terminology, bioinformatics, health information systems, medical informatics, computer applications, and public health. And I could go on for a while,
0: but I think we're going to cut it there, Cliff, and take it back to you. Okay, no problem. We're going to do the microband trivia question now, Joe. Well, Joe, I'm sorry to report. There were no correct answer to last week's microband trivia question. This week, we're going to put two more trivia questions into play. Question one, what famous person said, and I quote, attention to health is the greatest hindrance to life. Question two, in the state of Florida, is there a health department rule against patrons in a fast food restaurant being barefoot? Okay, Joe, we're going to do our introductory music for our panel. That's up. Okay, we're looking for some great back chat this morning. Let's lay the foundation for this afternoon's uh, discussion. Please feel free to add any additional information and opinion, but what we'd like to do is not repeat what's already been said. What I'd like to do is call on each of the participants uh, for their answer to the question. Glenn, in order to lay the groundwork for this afternoon's discussion, can you tell us, tell the listeners, what constituencies comprise the indoor air quality industry?
1: Absolutely. The, the Indoor Air Quality Association defines the industry as being comprised of 15 very distinct disciplines. Each discipline has within it uh, subcategories, and I'll run through them very quickly for you. Number one, and these are in no particular order, number one are design professionals. That would include engineers, architects, interior designers. Number two, facility operations people, that would include building managers, facilities personnel, building owners, and so forth. Number three, restoration, that would be like remediation contractors, duct cleaners, water restorers, uh, fire restorers, uh, asbestos abatement, and so forth. Number four, uh, the legal community. Number five, the medical community, physicians, nurses, med techs, and and so forth. Number six, business services, uh, marketing, business consulting, publishing, internet, Number seven, academia, researchers, trainers, those sorts of things, professors. Number eight, which is uh, one of the largest groups, IAQ practitioners, and that would include IAQ investigators, uh, industrial hygienists, uh, IAQ consultants, uh, people who do uh, microbial work, that kind of thing. Number nine, contractors, uh, relating to mechanical systems, that would be HVAC, tested balance, uh, filtration, those types of things. Number 10, facility services, which would be uh, companies providing uh, services to facilities, such as janitorial, pest control, exhaust cleaning, housekeeping, filter changes. Number 11, government and associations, uh, people who work for the government or for nonprofits. Number 12, lab services. Number 13, health and safety, uh, which would be like industrial hygiene, uh, certified safety professionals, those types of things. Number 14, uh, products and product managers would be suppliers and distributors and manufacturers of of products in the industry. That's a huge segment. And then last, number 15, uh, the insurance industry, uh, insurance or risk management. So you can see it's a wide, wide uh, variety of trades and professions that are involved in indoor air quality in some uh, manner or another.
0: Glenn, thank you for a Great answer, and I think it gives us a lot of information really with which to build on. There's an organization. By the
1: way, that's, that's available at uh, IAQA.org if anyone wants to see that list
0: and, and copy it down. I, and I think it's a good place to go and get that's good information. You know, there's an organization known as the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, known as the IICRC. This organization defines an IEP, Indoor Environmental Professional as one who is qualified to determine environmental conditions, assess fungal ecology, and perform post-remediation verification. Within the context of their standard mold remediation document, the S-520, one can infer that an indoor environmental professional might also assess overall indoor environmental conditions, specifying oversee remediation protocols, and or assess health and safety issues. Uh, what I'd like to do is ask each one of our panelists th- this question. According to you, who is an IEP? And what I'd like to do is start that with uh, Dr. Dietrich Weil.
3: Oh, boy, you asked me a question. Uh, am, I, am I on? Am I
0: unmuted? Yes, sir. We can hear you okay. fine. It's, uh, you know, it is a tough
3: one to answer. You know, how much experience should you have? What should be your background? Uh, it's 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 a difficult question to answer. There are courses. There are probably something like 25 courses available in the United States, which quote qualify you for doing this type of a job. Uh, are there good ones? Are there bad ones? Yes, indeed, no doubt about that. Um, I I would like uh, well that that that's 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 my my preference. I would like to have an engineer or an architect. Uh, who went through the sciences uh, in school, and has then additional training. I would like to see that. Now, that is not always possible. Uh, And there are a lot of good people out there who don't have that background. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to put anybody down. But, uh, yeah, there are good doctors and there are bad doctors. There are good drivers and there are bad drivers. They all have the same license. So it is a tough one to, 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 to answer. You know, who is the ideal guy? Well, the ideal guy is somebody who knows everything about building envelopes and buildings in general and knows, quote, everything about indoor environmental issues.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's
3: a tough one to meet.
0: I think you did a great job answering the question. Joe, would you like to comment? According to you, what is an IEP?
2: Oh) <coughs> That's a loaded question, Cliff. Uh, let's see. It's supposed to be someone with the experience and the.
0: I think they're really
2: specific about having experience in investigating, and I believe it's more toward microbial issues and my, in, investigating microbial issues and then writing protocols for projects and then verifying that the protocol was followed and verifying that the project was completed and it really is a generic description and i don't think there's any one certification that can guarantee someone that the person they're using is a qualified indoor environmental professional i guess what i would say is it's like any other contractor that you hire or professional that you hire you have to look at the combination of their experience, their education, their additional training, and their background to determine whether or not they would be the appropriate person for your project.
0: Okay, thanks. Melissa, would you like to comment?
4: I mean, considering what Joe and Dieter said, I have to agree, and I would hope also that an IEP would be looked at somebody who actually invests you know, into quality training from preferably a nonprofit group um, that promotes, you know, good coverage for just the general public in in general Mm -hmm. and encompasses themselves with quality people around them. So, you know, a good inspector that has quality training and then teams up with quality remediator um, and just continues their education throughout.
0: I think that team concept is is really a great addition. How about you, Melanie? What do you think? What's an IEP?
5: Uh, I would have to agree with Melissa. And just one other point I would make is just that they're they're very versed in the rules and regulations of the industry. And I think they can only get that if they're doing a lot of continuing education and trainings to stay abreast of the changes that are happening all across the country. So experience is is great, but if they're not doing the trainings to stay current, then I would be concerned.
0: Lee, would you like to comment?
6: Uh, Yes, I think that um, one of the best IEPs around these days are the ones that come up from the ranks, generally started in remediation as a practitioner because, uh, you know, in that part of the industry, you're hands-on working with all of the regulations that are out there, and they become, you know, part of your uh, internal dialogue. And, uh, you know, coming up from there, uh, working into... uh, consulting as an environmental uh, professional, I find that, you know, the architect that can actually build a house is the best architect. And I think that the IEPs that are coming through from ground level have a tremendous grasp of what's going on and what are the uh, the issues down to small details. Uh, it's, and this requires education. I mean, you can't work up through the ranks without education. So, um, you know, I have tremendous faith in that, That uh, growing uh, group of IAQ professionals.
0: I think it's a great comment. You know, Mr. Goodwrench is kind of the guy you want to, to fix your car. Uh, David, anything that you'd like to add?
7: Well, I, I think Lay hit, hit it just perfect. Uh, coming up through the ranks and uh, um, along with the education is, is because if you just simply had the education and you've never been in those moldy buildings and, and you've seen it, smelled it, dealt with it dealt with the insurance industry, dealt with the occupational health doctors, and, and dealt with that whole combination team, um, it's difficult to, to go in and give somebody a, uh, an, an accurate estimate for what needs to be done to clean up, because typically it's, it's a very expensive process that involves not just only you,
1: but
0: many other people. Well, Glenn, how about the last word on this?
1: Thanks. You know, I think Joe hit it right on the head when he said there is no single uh, entity out there that's known that quantified with a uh, acronym, for instance, after their name, that can definitely be an IEP. But there's, there are good starting points to finding one. I would start with any of the accredited certifications for um, related industries. I would go to the American Board of Industrial Hygiene, the American Board of Safety Professionals, the American Indoor Air Quality Council all of the nonprofits who are accredited as certifying bodies and who deal with environmental issues start there. That would give anybody a huge list of people to um, narrow down to find the exact expert or experts, which uh, was another good point, could be a multidisciplinary team that would be needed.
0: Well, thank you. Let's change direction now. And what I'd like to do is put together a couple of lists. And list number one, is going to be made up of types of people, or uh, you know, people that have certain belief systems that we think help the indoor environmental industry. Then I'd like the second category to be people that we would think would hurt the industry. And I think what we can do is we can go to uh, Lee for the first uh, comment on this. Well, you know, you can Who's give us
6: helping and hurting the industry. Yes i think the media doesn't help us at all and um, i mean uh, you know how many times have you been in an environment and i think basically this discussion is about residential in which people are p- completely hysterical uh... because they've seen something on television and they're positive because you know they had uh, their hot water heater break this morning that their kids are going to be um, consumed with uh... you know brain tumors and cancer and everything else because now they have mold in their house and. Um, You know, uh, the hysteria that the the media has uh, produced is not helping us at all. Um, And uh, I think that um, a new uh, player, not that new, but uh, one that's foremost coming into extreme uh, clarity of focus is the USGBC, the US um, Green Building Council, I think is going to be a tremendous um, kind of like the golf club hitting the golf ball for the IAQ industry. Um, you know, a great driver to bring uh, everything that we're doing into better focus to the public.
0: David, what about from your perspective with with the health department? You know, what do you see that's beneficial and what do you see that's not so beneficial? You probably get phone calls every day about this.
7: Yeah, you know, and um, again, a lot of our phone calls come from uh, people being scared about things that they've heard you know, stachybotrys and this black mold, and all of a sudden, and their their lives are completely consumed with it. when um, it, it's it, and then the other part of it is, is they don't know who to call, because they're afraid that uh, what the cost is going to be and what they're going to the results that they're going to find out. So, uh, and a lot of times what we do for them is uh, we will uh, don't. We only go out and um, look at our permitted facilities, ones that we write permits for. We don't go out and look at residents, but we do provide them with educational material to help them make a more better informed decision on who to hire and what to do and how to clean up. So from us, that, that's probably the biggest thing is that when they call in, they're usually um, because of what they've heard.
0: Mm-hmm. Dieter? What's good or yeah,
3: what's bad? Well, well, I untrained people who think that they know everything is probably the worst one. I do agree with Lee that, you know, unfortunately, good news are lousy news, so we always have to have bad news, people getting killed and, and, and dead and, and, and snowed in and, and uh, you know, exposed to these terrible mold spores and all of that. And, you know, I, I got quite a few phone calls based on that background. I said, hey, can you help me? You know, can you, what's happening over here? And I tell the people, I said, look, you know, mold spores are all over the place. I know approximately what the mold spore count is in Pittsburgh because I get, twice a week, I get uh, readings. And sometimes, you know, the <laughs> the mold uh, spore count is higher on the outside than on the inside. And people are complaining that their kids are sneezing and, and, and have you know, problems so i I would say uh, unfortunately it is too easy to become a how should I say that licensed home inspector with really you know, no checks and balances whatsoever literally I mean there, there, there are so many things where People say, here yeah, I took this one one-day course, and now therefore I'm qualified and so on." So I think that that is a problem. How how do I take care of it? I don't know. I don't have an answer.
0: Okay, Melissa, would you like to comment?
4: Peter kind of took the words out of my mouth. I was going to kind of go for that um, quick turnkey type training that generates people in a with a certification and possibly make them a little bit dangerous and go into the homes of, of the people that David probably gets the calls on and the people are scared and will buy yeah. pretty much anything.
0: Uh, Melanie. Uh,
5: yeah, I would, I would add, too, I would say one would be the accrediting bodies that are helping to set the standards and, and advertise those standards so that more folks are aware of the trainings that are available, and then I would also say um, IAQ radio, just for the idea that you guys are willing to put this information out there in a different format and that can approach
0: uh, different professionals in the field and get them more up to speed with what they need to know. Well, Radio Joe, now you can talk because she just gave you kudos.
2: Well, I, I was a distracted for a moment, but I did have a comment. Um, it's been great lately since the Molder's gold rush died down after 2002 been tough on training providers because uh, we don't have as many people coming in, but I would say I think the helpful people are the people that are already involved in some way, shape, or form in solving building science and moisture problems or cleaning up after disasters. Those people tend to do a professional job, have the background, have the understanding that others have spoke about. And I think the people I worry about are the ones that came in during the mold is gold rush. And that's all they do is mold investigation and mold remediation. not saying there aren't some good ones out there. There are. But I would be careful with those people that just do mold and don't do water damage restoration or aren't in the home inspection business. I think there's some good home inspectors that can be mold investigators. Um, I think there's good contractors that can do mold remediation. There's good asbestos abatement contractors that branch into it. So I like it when people come from similar backgrounds and then branch into mold remediation as a part of their services.
0: Thanks, Joe. Uh, Glenn, anything you want to add?
1: Well, yeah, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, what hurts the industry? I think what hurts the industry are people who are, Um, not willing to let go of of what's over their head. People get involved in indoor quality projects. Uh, They're they're moving through it. Something needs to be done. They're not qualified to do it, but they'd like to make the revenue from it. And they're not willing to stop and bring in another professional with greater expertise or differentiated expertise. Instead, they try to do it themselves. It's a disservice to their customer, and it's going to likely end up causing more problems uh, for the client and for the consultant or contractor in the long run.
0: Okay. Well, we're we're a little bit before halftime, Glenn, but what I'd like to do is find out whether we can turn to you for a What's New segment before I introduce uh, another topic. Is that okay?
1: That'd be great. Okay. Uh, For this this issue of Indoor... Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oops,
0: sorry.
7: to have a good story writing just news is so factually boring i get assignments
2: that any could do i am the scapegoat for all of the group i'm mostly a figure they laugh at but then i'll be a
1: leader of men
0: a leader of men glenn for the I, what's news all right here we go well, we are really excited about the
1: February edition of our newspaper. It is the 100th edition of Indoor Environment Connections. Uh, we've been doing it for 100 months now. And um, uh, without fail, we've produced one every time. It's been uh, a great run, and we're looking forward to another 100 in front of us. And there's a lot of people um, to whom we owe thanks, because it's, it's the people who've been involved with us from, from volume one, issue one, through to the present and into the future. And I hope that everyone who's enjoyed the newspaper for the last uh, ninety nine months will take the time to uh, take a look at that and and uh, and thank all the people who've made that newspaper possible. not just the, the people here at Indoor Environment Communications but so many people from all across the industry who've contributed it's really really been special now, as far as what's in the news. Uh, the February issue's got some great stuff. There's an article by Barbara Rubin about fragrance products and the surprising things that can be within those fragrance products. It's a huge, huge part of the uh, economy for, um, uh, you know, these, these fragrance air fresheners and wall plug-ins and so forth. A lot of people don't know what they're getting into with those products. There's another article by John Miller uh, called The Wide World of Lead." And if you don't know what LEED is, and you don't understand its place in the environmental and green industries, this is the article for you. Uh, if you don't know what LEED is and you're in this industry, read this article, you need to know this stuff. But even if you are familiar with LEED, it does a great job of boiling down, uh, you know, what the program's really all about and who it's for. On to some other quick things, I um, just got back from the Air Conditioning Contractors of America annual meeting, it was this week in Colorado Springs, and it was phenomenal, it was the 40th annual meeting. And there were two topics that seemed to really be going around the the cocktail tables, if you will, and they were politics and uh, the economy. And it's interesting because uh, if you remember back to a few shows ago, IE Connections uh, called uh, McCain and Clinton the best politicians in terms of their positions uh, in favor of indoor air quality issues, and it looks like on the Republican side uh, the best man for indoor air quality is going to be the candidate. Uh, And on the Democratic side, we'll see. But um, it's very, very interesting. The other subject, the economy, Uh, there's a lot of talk about that. The air conditioning industry is is a little bit less affected by economic downturns than a lot of other industries because no matter what, people need to be either warm or cool, and, and that seems to become a priority. But energy costs was was really high on the list, and there was a lot of discussion about energy efficiency and the need for the air conditioning industry to to ramp up and move a lot faster than had been planned in developing more efficient systems. There was some great conversation between the the, uh, big shots at Honeywell, York, and uh, Carrier Train, all the big air conditioning manufacturers had their COOs or CEOs there, and that was a, a constant theme you heard energy efficiency sustainability it's really caught on in the
0: hvc world okay that wraps it up for now well thank you very much glenn as always
3: What I say. That chat, that chat, always get
0: Thanks, Chris. Okay, let's start off the, the the second half of the show with a question. Uh, it, it seems that the indoor environmental quality field tends to focus a lot. Of attention on mold, and what I'd like our panelists to comment on is what other common indoor environmental exposures are not getting the attention that they deserve. And I think we'll start with with Dave Pierce. Oh
7: boy! I don't
5: know.
7: I wish I would have seen this question before uh, it was asked. I could have done a little bit of more research. Um, that's a tough question. Uh, Uh, Why don't you pass that on?
0: Okay, no problem. Uh, Dieter?
7: Yeah,
3: I think, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, I think the, and when I'm talking about, or when we are talking about it right now, indoor environmental issues, I really don't care about my neighbor's house. You know, there may be a problem over there. And I'm, I'm looking more at, you know, commercial buildings, office buildings, and so on and uh, my biggest concern and i have been doing that and i have seen it a thousand times is inadequate or badly designed ventilation systems unfortunately in the old days uh, when there was no consideration about uh, 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 energy costs you know, I, I remember when i moved into my house i think my 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 gas bill was thirty dollars in january and i live in pittsburgh it's now 300 Uh, When uh, Ventilation systems, they they, they didn't get the attention that they needed. They were afterthoughts. And I think many of these indoor air problems, the sick building syndrome, uh, building-related illness, whatever you want to call it, the indoor environmental uh, stuff can be, and I solved many of them by just putting the right ventilation in there. I think we have to pay more attention to that. In, uh, there are books out there from the American Industrial Hygiene Association, from uh, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH and AIHA. There are books out there which tell, and these books have been around, believe it or not, since the 40s, if not the 30s. In other words, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, it's all there, but people don't know that these books exist and people don't look at them, and hence we have lousy ventilation systems.
0: Mm-hmm. Melissa?
4: Yeah, that's, I mean, there's quite a bit of things that, um, that go overlooked. I think volatile organic compounds is one. Um, a lot of times people assume that it's mold, but it usually goes back to the VOC. Uh, Legionella is another one that's starting to hit the top there. Uh, bacteria always seems to be overlooked. When I first started, it was always mold and bacteria side by side, and it seems like bacteria took a wayside to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can always go to the dust mites and the pet dander, insects, cockroaches, and things like that. Um, You know, people always think they have mold, but they forget that dust mites flourish when you have a lot of humidity and such things like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that can go into indoor air quality aside from mold.
0: How about the senator from New Jersey?
6: (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> um, I have to agree a lot with Dieter. I mean this is a very broad question that there's really not one good answer to, but the h b i c systems are not particularly, and I'm hoping with you know the led uh, at, at lead uh, buildings coming in the u s g b c impetus in this that there's going to be a lot of changes with uh... but bacteria dust mites mold all these issues, uh, particularly at a residential level, are very important, and I think that You know, in my uh, experience, a lot of it is simply about housekeeping issues, that there is not a great deal of uh, awareness on the part of the average person about how much housekeeping uh, plays into the um, health of the uh, home and the family. And, um, you know, I guess this is a public health issue that uh, maybe in the future we might have more education maybe even starting in, in high schools, about the fact that, um, you know, on the housekeeping, I refer to, I, even in commercial environments, I talk about housekeeping. Um, it's really about uh, the level of cleanliness, and that doesn't mean you have to be um, scrubbing and cleaning every every inch of this environment all the time. It just means that there has to be a certain awareness about how things grow and in indoor environments and for what, you know, how it is that you allow these these uh, uh, organisms to prosper. So, I, you know, I'm really, uh, I think housekeeping issues as a public health matter is is pretty important.
0: Melanie.
5: Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at some of the notes Melissa is typing down. So one point she just made was uh, more knowledge about the cleaning products that folks are using for housekeeping. And the only other comment that I would make about this is, it's always amazing when homeowners show up at our mold awareness workshop just in terms of how little they knew before they got here and how much information they leave with and so i think education of homeowners as um, uh, lee was just mentioning is really important in terms of just getting them the information that they need so that they can make the right decisions
0: about their home and their environment that's a great uh, comment glenn
1: well you walk into any school public school in this country and you ask a classroom full of kids to raise their hands and say, who has asthma? One out of ten is going to raise their hands. I think what this uh, industry is missing, besides the microbial and the biological aspects, um, are the particulate issues, the VOC issues. Um, you know, there's there's so much besides uh, biological growth that affects indoor health and indoor environments. So I, I really think that there's a... Um, The de-emphasis on mold over the last year or two has has been a good thing. But we need to now be looking at these allergens. Mm -hmm.
5: Joe?
2: One hit on what I was going to say, the allergens, but after today, it might be dust. I I have a couple people here. Um, who mentioned they're allergic to dust, and this wasn't just something they made up. They were told this by an allergen, and I I'm wondering if I can ask Peter, have you ever heard of people being allergic to dust? I mean, normally, isn't it some component within the dust?
1: Well, uh,
3: certainly, but I mean, somebody who uh, somebody who has let's let's start with asthma, uh, which is you know a a a. a a disease of the lung, so to speak, uh, yeah, an asthmatic can be aggravated by clean, cold air. That not, Nothing has to be in it. Just cold air will do it. If it's wonderfully filtered through a HEPA filter, and it still will aggravate it. So I would not be surprised to see that any kind of particulate matter, heaven knows what's in it. I mean, we can do the analysis of house dust, uh, yeah, whatever may be in there, and um, it, 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 there, there isn't a particular uh, component that I think is the bad actor that we got to get rid of. I think it's the overall picture, and that will aggravate an asthma and, or for that matter, an allergy. I mean, an allergy, on the other hand, is defined. You, know, you, you have the allergy, and you need an allergen to trigger the effect so that that is a given so that the, the right material has to be in the air so um, how do we measure it I don't know um, can we measure for it uh, ask an allergist ask a medical doctor who is an allergist and uh, they don't have the answer so I don't have the answer either But uh, there are a ton of things out there that uh, produce breathing problems, whether it's an allergic reaction or just a temporary reaction.
2: We will have to ask a doctor in about three weeks. We have an allergist coming on the show.
3: That would be terrific.
2: Bring that back out.
3: I I think that is terrific. Yes, I think I would like to listen to that.
6: Can I jump in on this? Sure, please. You know, I, asthma, asthmatic patients is a growing part of my uh, practice. I do a lot of indoor uh, inspection of uh, home environments of asthmatics to find uh, triggers and irritants that uh, are, are promoting their uh, response, uh, asthmatic response. And uh, this gets back to the whole issue of housekeeping and, you know, knowledge about uh, how to – how. Uh, how uh, the level of housekeeping can affect health and, in particular, asthmatics. And I find even in the cleanest of homes, um, the manner in which housekeeping occurs is actually something that can trigger asthma because it's exactly what Dieter's talking about. It's dust particulates. Um, if they're not being removed, captured rather than moved around in the course of um, housekeeping. This presents a very big problem to people who have asthmatic and other uh, respiratory response problems. Um, dust capture is an issue that um, it really is going to have to come to a better uh, level of awareness in, in, on all levels of, of life because it is a very big problem. And because it is lighter than air and you can't particularly see it, um, uh, people think they're cleaning their homes and they're not. And, of course, people who are not cleaning their homes, it's a whole other issue, and there's a lot of dust there. And
0: I'm done. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, what I what,
2: you got the ladies out here laughing, Lee. Thank you.
0: You know, what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, change pace again. And, you know, we've talked about all these things that are causing problems, you know, in indoor environments. And what I'd like to do is shift the discussion uh, to the group and wonder if there's been any reversal that you're aware of of theory regarding what was either taught in colleges or industry regarding health safety and toxicology uh, as what is taught now so you know do any notable examples come to mind where a substance or a material is less toxic or less hazardous than originally presumed
2: Let me ask if uh, Dieter can comment on fiberglass. Sure. Fiberglass at one time was considered a possible carcinogen, I believe it was, Dieter, and hasn't that been changed to some degree?
3: Yes, there was the, and I forgot the exact name, but there was an international uh, institute that studied cancer, whatever it was. And, uh, in fact, we did uh, studies at the University of Pittsburgh years ago in fact, we had a contract, and that is, uh, that's published data, so I can talk about it, uh, with the, uh, the, uh, the Pink Panther people, uh, Dow Corning. And uh, their fiberglass was made in such a way that virtually any fiber that would come from there uh, w- was basically not inhalable. In other words, it would be in your, in your throat or on your tongue, and the pharynx or larynx, and it never really made it to the lung because the particle that would gener- be generated from that uh, just was not inhalable. We did the studies with, with, with guinea pigs and, uh, and, and rabbits, for that matter, at the time. Paul Gross did that, and we didn't find anything. Now, this is one kind of glass. The other glass is the old rock wool or mineral wool, which, which it is called, and Pittsburgh was a large supplier of the raw material for making that. It is called slag. That was the slag that came from the um, steel, uh,
0: steel uh, Bessemer uh, uh,
3: converters uh, in the steel, mill, uh, steel making industry. And this was, you know, glass. Now they reheated that one to make it liquid, and they made a... Um, uh, fiberglass out of it basically the same way that cotton candy is made you have the liquid glass and you throw uh, blow it with air and out of the other end comes this undefined undefined fiber and uh, you have no you have no choice over the particle size the way the Dow Corning is made, it is being run through a die of about seven microns in diameter. There is pressure behind it. The other one, you don't have any control over the fiber size, and you have a dirty fiber. I don't know. Uh, you know just about any heavy metal that you can possibly think of is in slag during the uh, steelmaking process. So that was that was a problem. And uh, like I said, there, it's it's like Oranges and apples, you can't compare one or the other. Uh, they're completely different animals. And, um, you know, one, I don't, uh, yeah, uh, I would be in many instances if I were, uh, you yeah, to use the rock wool or mineral wool, I would be more concerned than installing pink panther, uh, dowel corning uh, insulation in the wall. Uh, do I get uh, skin uh, irritation from either one of them? Yes, you do. There's nothing I can do
1: about that.
0: Okay. Anyone else like to comment? Glenn?
1: Well, you know, about 15 years ago, uh, I, when I was a young journalist, I wrote an article called "Fiberglass Insulation. Is it going to be the next asbestos? And it was right when it had been reclassified as a, pars- a possible carcinogen. And I found myself at the end of a long oak table facing the North American Insulation Manufacturers Association and a bunch of their lawyers. And it wasn't a very fun experience. So uh, (laughs) things have turned around a little bit, I guess, since then. But to come back to the question itself, um, you know, what's changed or or, or what's been reversed in theory, uh, one of the things that that just came out uh, within the last couple weeks, and I think I even mentioned it on the last show, is, This new study out of UC Berkeley pointing to the fact that as outdoor ozone rates climb, indoor ozone rates climb in direct proportion, and furthermore, as that outdoor ozone enters the indoor space through ventilation, it reacts with certain chemicals and components in the indoor environment to produce uh, produce other types of toxins. That's something to me which was fascinating and which I think is going to get a lot more attention as time goes by.
0: Okay. Thank you. Would anyone else like to comment? Okay. No one jumped in. All, All right. Let's let's uh, let's change subjects. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, sampling and laboratory analysis in uh, mold remediation projects. I guess what I'd like to, uh, the question I'd like to put on the table would be uh, who should do sampling and When should they do it? And let's go to uh, Melissa first. I knew you were going to come to me. That's a loaded question for a lab to answer. Well, that's why I Um, asked it.
2: Everybody all the time?
4: No, I mean, my honest opinion, um, and I guess I can come from this, just being in the industry, is I feel that there should be remediators and then there should be
5: investigators.
4: I don't necessarily feel that I feel that there could be a conflict of interest if you're doing remediation and um, you know. so I mean gosh so I don't know help me here <laughs> a little bit I, I mean I feel that sampling is needed um, I don't necessarily feel that 50 samples need to be taken in a 2,000 square foot home um, you know I think that the knowledge and Piece that comes from the professional needs to be taken into consideration, you know, doing the moisture mapping and, and looking over the, the structure prior to sampling is definitely necessary. And then when you find a suspicious area of, of nature, then take that sampling and send it to the laboratory to prove or disprove your hypothesis. That's pretty much how I feel.
2: So. Okay. That's right there. You know, you, if you don't just sample sample, you follow the proper protocol, which is to gather information, formulate your hypothesis, then, if necessary, sample to either confirm or not confirm your hypothesis. If it confirms your hypothesis, then you can make recommendations and recommendations for repair and remediation, and you may do additional sampling to ensure that the recommendations you made fix the problem. So that's the way I would summarize it real quick. And that's
0: excellent clarification, Joe. You did a wonderful job. David, what about you? I suspect that you get called in or your group gets called in from time to time uh, to sample.
7: Well, we we don't do any sampling in the health department. Um, What we do is if it was, again, one of our permitted facilities, we would come in and do the initial investigation to find out where the intrusion or where the, uh, the source could be coming from. And then what we would do is um, we would either contract it out to uh, one of the local companies that we would have here, one of the local environmental companies, and then, then they would take it from there. And Le- then what we would do is work mainly on, you know, the health-related issues of it.
0: Thanks, Dave. What about you, Lee? You
6: know, uh, the subject of testing is really Real big because, I mean, big in terms of it covers a, a huge uh, number of issues. Um, a lot of times, I, I do a lot of testing for rule out. Um, I also do a lot of testing to confirm. Um, testing it, it tells us a lot of things, and uh, it determines in many cases what I'm doing next. I mentioned that I do a lot of um, environmental inspection for asthmatics and people with other problems. And uh, uh, a lot of things have to be taken into consideration, and one is, uh, which I look at very closely when I first enter into a case, what is the financial um, ability of the person or the family involved? Because sometimes you have to completely you know, decide what's important uh, and what's go- what are you going to get the most information out of um, based on the fact that there isn't going to be a lot of money to get invested in uh, an extensive testing program. And that's limiting, and you've got to be very... Um, experienced in order to figure out how you're going to work around that and make it work for the family and perform the function you've been hired for, which is to help them. Um, in other cases, there there's uh, an extensive amount of money available, but uh, people have tremendous objection to, you know, why do we have to do all of this? So it, it gets very difficult uh, to um, actually implement a good testing program. Uh, and I think that a lot of how you get the best out of it is is about how much you know and how how uh, how you can work it to get the most information. But testing is very important, and um, if you don't do it right and or you don't do enough of it, it, it usually involves a lot of return visits and do overs. And I want to say that as a uh, on the remediation end of this, we sample as a remediation company all the time for ourselves. We sample before we start. And we sample, actually, we sample on our own to be sure that we're ready for clearance. And we sample for those reasons to protect ourselves in all interests. And every remediation company should be sampling for themselves so that they know what they're dealing with and they know whether they're ready for clearance. And also in cases of uh, liability and litigation in this particular, you know, atmosphere we're in with uh, lawsuits coming up all the time, you really need to have all that stuff. So... Um, Testing is important on a lot of levels, and, um, you know, we're testing for things all the time here.
0: Okay. Glenn?
1: Well, you know, the question of who should sample, uh, I think, is also something these questions. What, the, what are the circumstances? Let's look at, for instance, a, a home inspection for a property sale uh, where a buyer wants to know, you know, is there a microbial issue in this home before I buy it? A very basic uh, microbial screening might involve primarily visual assessment. Uh, there may be a few suspect areas where some, some uh, non intrusive sampling can help to determine whether something that's suspected to be microbial is, and if so, uh, if it's a, a big deal or not. There are programs that would train, for instance, a, a, a licensed or certified home inspector how to do that kind of a microbial screening. And I'm using the word screening as opposed to an inspection. That's very different, say, than a building where there are people who have uh, known health issues related to microbial issues. In that case, you're going to need somebody who has much greater qualifications to do the testing, someone who knows where to, where to do the, uh, the testing, uh, why to do the testing, and how to interpret the analysis. So I think there's a, a range of people who should be doing testing depending on the circumstances.
0: hmm Dieter, is it true that you have arthritis for carrying around that sampling pump in Anderson for so many years? <laughs>
3: oh, God, yeah. I uh, I hear this all the time. In fact, I just did a survey a couple of four uh, weeks ago or something, not three weeks ago. And uh, that is a place uh, here in the Pittsburgh area. And the people are still complaining. They have to have this damn little pump on their belt which weighs a whopping one pound or something like this. They said, oh, give me the small one over there. You know, I have to work with this all day long. These guys have never, ever been in a damn coal mine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, where you have to have a battery uh, uh, on your belt, a couple of tools on your belt, and a self-rescue on your belt, (laughs) and a hard head on, and uh, safety glasses and all of that. And I said, look, fellows, don't complain. No, but I mean, uh, again, going back to the original question, I can teach somebody how to take a sample in one day, and I think Glenn touched on it. It is not only taking the sample; the sample is where do I take it, and how do I interpret the results? I think that is the main thing. Who should take the sample? I mean, I can teach somebody, and I probably I can teach a high school kid how to take a sample. I give him a rotometer and I tell him put it here to this level. I make a red mark over there and adjust the pump, he can take that sample. I still have to interpret it, and I, I have to assume that the guy is not cheating on me and all of that. He turns off the pump and says, I ran it for eight hours, and he only ran it for one hour. Let's, 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 let's throw that one out. But um, uh, it's, yeah, the question is now, where do I take the sample? And Lee touched on that, and uh, Glenn touched on that. Where do I take the sample? Now, if I, you know, in, in, in my house, where if I wanted to know the indoor air quality, do I go to the basement uh, where my cat is and uh, and all of that? And um, uh, do I go to my kitchen where I do cooking and make coffee and tea and uh, uh, peel oranges and stuff like that? So that, I think, is the, 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 the ultimate. In fact, somebody just, sent me SUMA uh, uh, from the SUMA canister uh, air sampling results and everything is in the parts per billion. I said, Dito, what do you think? Now, I mean, if I find a chemical at a, in a part one part per billion range of a chemical that I don't even know uh, what it is, I, I'm not concerned.
0: Okay. Um, we probably have time for one more question, and what I'd like to do is put out to the panel. How do indoor environmental quality professionals best reach out to work with public health officials, medical professionals, and the general public? Uh, Glenn, we'll start with you.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, And it's one that that, that, uh, I know the Indoor Air Quality Association has been working with, too. There are a ton of different conferences, publications, websites, and so forth, medical professionals, uh, utilize in and congregate at, and uh, penetrating those is, is, is somewhat difficult because they're very focused on their own internal issues, and, and these uh, medical professionals have very little time in their schedules to, to look at things and do things. But what we found by attending some of the allergy allergist conferences is that they are desperate to know who to refer their customers to. Yeah. Uh, their patients their patients come to them, and they give them advice to you know, reduce the dust load in their home and get their ventilation systems cleaned and this, that, and the other. They generally know what advice to give their, their, their clients but then, or, or patients. But then when the patients say, okay, well, who do I call, they're clueless. So I think the best thing that the industry could do is to make itself aware or make the, the medical profession aware of you know, who is an industrial hygienist and where do you find one, what is a certified mold remediator, and where do you locate them. Those types of things, uh, pr- bridging the gap between the medical profession and the IAQ practitioner is, I think, the, one of the biggest things on our agenda.
0: Well, Dave, how can our industry reach out more to you with, with the health department? Any suggestions for us?
7: Well, you know, um, I think it's with, at least in Florida, with our health departments, money has become a big issue with us, uh, the funding. Um, you know, Florida's like $700 million or billion dollars or something in, in the hole. And, and IAQ issues, what with, with years ago, used to be a, a big issue for us that we could deal with. And then Ivan came along and, and overwhelmed us. Uh, so uh, I think that, uh, well, in, the, in the, the environmental health field, that education – us getting out there, and our biggest thing that we can do for our clients is really just is, is educate them on the health effects, and and clean up, and and I think that knowing where to send our clients to when they need it, such as our, my home just got flooded, versus uh, you know the bathtub overfilled and filled up the bathroom. You know who do we send them to? You know who would be the right person to send them to? Uh, where do we go to the to the local remediator do we send him to a guy for testing you know so a lot of cases it's it's you know where do we send the person to like like a residence
0: Melanie.
5: That I had made earlier with respect to at homeowners that attend our mold awareness workshop, they're really amazed at at the information that is readily available to them. They just weren't aware of it being on the internet. Right. So the more that we can do to with, with shows like this and with uh, other resources that I know Joe is working on with some of his trainings, where we can just get the word out to let them know where to look. The answers they need, and for the physicians as well, they're they're right up there. And so we just need to point them in the right direction and, and let them know that there's a, an entire profession surrounding this knowledge, and it's a respected profession, and, and there's a lot to be learned, but the solutions are there. Melissa. I pretty
4: much second what Melanie has to say. Just knowing the nonprofit organizations, the governmental agencies, um, all those groups, just kind of having that at the top of your hand and just help, you know, offering all that
0: information to those people. Uh Senator from New Jersey.
6: <laughs> uh I say yay to all all of the above.
0: Okay. Uh Dieter.
3: Well I think I, I think I made my point. Um I um I I certainly do want to look at education. I've been in education my whole professional life basically and I'm still teaching now with uh, Joe and, and with you for that matter mm-hmm. and um, I, I think there is nothing nothing that will replace uh, education uh, the more the better I think it should be more strict than it is right now I don't think we teach the right things in the high schools right now I think it's too easy uh, compared to what I went through when I went there that gives away my age um, but education and, um, you know, attending seminars, talking to people, um, uh, that's what conventions really should be uh, there for, not to drink beer, but to, uh, I do that once in a while, as everybody <laughs> knows, and, but to run into people and to learn from other people. Go to the exhibit and uh, see what is new on the table. Ask the people, the salesmen. So I think that will help overall. And whether it's indoor air quality or whether it's automotive or whatever, I think those types of experiences and those types of teaching experiences are the ones that makes, you know, separates the voice from the 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 men. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you gotta have that education. You gotta go there. You gotta learn something and uh, be aware of what is around. I learned a lot of things when, uh, attending the uh, con- uh, the conventions.
0: Final word on that subject, Radio Joe.
2: I'd just like to say that I think we need to get this information into the public schools at an earlier age. I'd like to look more long-term. Yes,
3: yes, yes.
2: We have to look long-term at this issue and the industry has to start to educate the young people about how to take control of their own lives as they move forward. And, and I don't think we've done a good job on that. And I'd really like to see us do a better job.
3: I think, Joe, that is a wonderful, wonderful comment, and I couldn't uh, uh, agree with you more. If you don't learn it when you're at
1: that age, you never, ever will learn it. And if you don't start bringing it into the school system now, this industry is going to be in a world of hurt because there's going to be a severe lack of labor. The automotive and the IT industries are snatching up all the young, talented people, and this industry's got to get the attention of them before they get into high school so they know that this is a viable career that they can make a good living in.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Drys products providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Drys is first in drying solutions at DRI EAZ.com. John Don products where restoration and abatement contractors shop at JONDON.com. The Restoration Forum at RestorationForum.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microband.com. Links to IEQ radio are available at IEQtraining.com and unsmoked.com webpages. If you're interested in American Indoor Air Quality Council certified training or custom training programs, please visit the IEQtraining.com website or contact joe.use at IEQtraining.com. This is Cliff Slotnick, the Z Man, saying thank you to our panelists our co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, and to the wingman, Chris Boizel. But most importantly, to you, our growing group of loyal listeners, please come back and join us next Friday at noon, Eastern Standard Time, for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.